programa. Hello and welcome to Dynamite Eddie. It's the Retro Games Podcast where a couple of old pals get together and talk about a couple of old games. The voice you're hearing just now is myself, Mick Clockerty. Joining me as always, we have Mr. Mick McCormick. Hello. And Mr. Andy MacArthur. Kirichiwa. Mixing up a bit there this week, are we? Um, uh, right, here, I'm going to let you in on a wee bit of a secret in terms of me doing the intro. I don't keep track of which one he's introduced first. <laughs> I, I, I date it by vibe. I go, I feel as if I was, I've been introducing Andy Mayer first, so I'm going to pivot to Mick. Or I feel as if I've been doing Mick Mayer, I'm going to pivot to Andy. Any lore heads out there want to get in touch? Um, any any Neddy mega fans who've kept a spreadsheet over which one of my pals I've introduced first? I, w- I would be interested to, to hear the stats on that, so please do... Feel free to email us. Maybe some deep insights into Mick's mind. Exactly. Well, I, I'm not looking for therapy, but you know, just that you can tell us what, what one <laughs> that ship has sailed. Oh, very good. Right. Um, We've never been consistent anyway, either for years, so fuck it. Why, why stop having a lifetime? We've been consistent in putting out a hit podcast on retro games. And on that point, um, what he's been up to, what he's been playing. I'll let uh, Mr. McCormick go first on this occasion. Oh, mixing up, are we? Or, or, or not? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> so I have revisited an old save of uh, Crusader Kings 3 because the new patch has been released. Patch plus expansion, that's kind of how the day hangs. They put out a, a new expansion, but also like, if you've not got the expansion, you get a kind of free patch alongside this it. Is your, uh, this is your Royal Court expansion, I believe. Aye, exactly. So the, the whole kind of premise of this one is um, centred around the, the royal court. You know if you've seen any kind of like period dramas about Henry VIII or whatever, or, or even like Game of Thrones and it's kind of fantasy incarnation. If you're a king and a, an emperor in the Middle Ages, um, every so often you'll be sitting on your, your throne and let somebody will come up and petition you. They'll be like, please, please, sir, you know, we've, we've had a terrible crop yield who don't want to pay as much taxes um, and then you can be like aye aye fair enough or you can be like no you fucking bastard or you better pay double taxes and I'll whip you for the, the pleasure of seeing me pile at that so that's kind of what um, you get to do in, uh, in this you get to um, meet petitioners and deal with their complaints in various ways and different things will happen you can also like furnish your, your court with like various artefacts like um, a fancy sword or like something like a relic like a saint's testicle or something like that you know all the stuff that people kind of <laughs> found valuable back in the, the middle ages you want fucking Han Solo frozen in carbonite I mean that's that's, that's <laughs> that would be the only thing I would want in my throne room that would um that would definitely like give you some more kind of intimidation points, I think, if you had some shit like that. Um, but it, it goes all the way up to like the Ark of the Covenant <laughs> shit like that, like if you really really want to add some renown. But also you had um this this obviously is playing on real history because you know, did you know have various different people at different points at times, oh I yeah, well I've got the spear of destiny. And you would have an archon yeah. going, well, they've got a fake in, we've got the fucking proper one. All, all very unverifiable. <laughs> yeah, it's all about prestige. Like, you know, these things can kind of raise your prestige, which gives you various bonuses. And you can also, like, inherit artifacts for your um, kind of family members that have passed away. Or you can actually, like, declare war on their raids and kind of take one back if you think it's rightfully yours. When I hear Crusader um, King, right, you know what jumps out at me? I've, I've just got a picture in my head, looking at my phone. 
and this big kind of cartoon king with a big button that says play now and it's like <laughs> one of them games that take you into the app store that's cla- I think that's Clash, Clash of Kings, Kings. Ah, right, ah, yeah. ah, yeah. when these things hit you with microtransactions no bastard this is a much more old fashioned thing as, as I've described it's like it's, it's, it's a bit of a bit of um, maybe a bit of um, Rome Total War or something it's fit by manager for for history nerds basically it's, it's nerd shit it's very harmless cool I like the football manager gets used as a standard for everything that's a win for football isn't it <laughs> well it's a win for spreadsheets <laughs> <laughs> so in this game I've I decided to revisit an old save that I did because one of the other things that this introduces is um, it's, it's getting new things to do with culture um, you can kind of like create new cultures based on what's happening around you I think that you have possibly mentioned this mob on the podcast before if not just in group chats or whatever, but I believe you are referring to your Irish king who had a brother that went to the Middle East and you've kind of got this like Celtic Islam that you are now trying to like take over the world by. Yeah, that's my strange kind of goal that I've set myself. So like the first kind of big campaign I was playing, I went from a, a, a little... Um, I guess Baron or whatever kind of lowly uh, lord in Ireland um, in Donegal and my my goal was to eventually become king of Ireland and then eventually take over all, all of Britain um, as this Irish king which I pretty much got, got to but while that was happening um, at one point the Pope announced there was going to be a crusade um, as he does and I wasn't like really super prepared for a crusade, you know, my, but that wasn't really my goal. I had a few bob um, and a, a couple of soldiers, but not not in compared to some of the um, some of the bigger countries and the kingdoms in the map. So I was like, yeah, I'll send like my, I think it was like my my brother or a, a nephew or somebody that didn't really was anywhere near the sort of line of succession. I was like, I hey, fuck it, I'll send him over. Um, I'll send a few troops over and see what happens. He kind of gets sent off to the Middle East. Because the AI of this game kind of falls over a little bit when battles are really big, I ended up becoming like the most successful army of the whole crusade. And the Pope said, right, for your bravery, we Peter, um, I'm going to make you the king of Syria. <laughs> so all of a sudden, my wee nephew was the king of Syria, this big Irish fellow with a ginger beard. Um, so I thought that was pretty funny. And like at any point in the game, you can pretty much switch characters to any character on the map. So I saved the game. I was like, I'll maybe revisit him later. But I've revisited him now with this new royal court thing and these um, this new stuff about cultures. So yeah, I'm trying to create like a hybrid um, Irish-Arabic culture, convert the you know everyone around there to to my way of, way of viewing things. It takes quite a lot of prestige to be able to do that, but I did eventually get there. So yeah, I've got a group of people that they love poetry and kicking about the desert, but also like becoming cloistered monks. I mean, arguably, a hybrid Irish-Arab culture is going to be the most powerful thing on planet Earth. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's what I'm hoping. Um, so yeah, I've got... Argument to be made. Yep, I've got a full dynasty of guys called things like uh, Nazim O'Flanagan or like, um, you know, Suleiman O'Brien. Fuck like that is great. Um, they're all like really pale and ginger, but have like really massive, impressive uh, turbans and beards. <laughs> pretty, it's a pretty strong look. So yeah, I'm trying to um, consolidate my, my gains in the Middle East and uh, hoping that the Pope doesn't brand my new religion I've started, which is a mixture of Islam and uh, Christianity, heresy, um, and get a uh, Kick me out with another crusade. Did, um, did you keep the torture um, prisons open, or did you shut them? Because 
Uh, that, that was a kind of, that's a reason not to like a, the real king in it, Assad. So did you keep them open? <laughs> did you rule with an well, iron fist? Uh, Andy, here's, here's the good news. I, I believe Crusader Kings, you know, you, you can set your starting point, but it's, it's going to be hundreds and hundreds of years before the birth of Bashar al-Assad. So you don't, <laughs> you, you don't, you don't even need to think about it, mate. <laughs> yeah, the game, I think, forces you to quit roughly around the invention of the printing press. Um, so you've got a few years to go. This mod do make like other games. The next one is kind of based in the kind of early modern era. There's one based in Victorian times and there's one based in World War II. Folk have like kind of made mods where you can like carry on your game and kind of wear all the national borders. Oh, like Black Adder. <laughs> yeah, well, ah, the, exactly. The, the next one and plays your descendants and that. Folk have these kind of mega games. So it's definitely pretty in depth. That sounds cool. And modern scenes are so good for games nowadays. It's why PC versions are always better, isn't it? Aye, there's a really popular Crusader Kings one. I don't know if it's on three yet, but it was really big for two, where it's like Game of Thrones mod. Yes. Where it kind of changes all the countries and all the royal families and that to be Game of Thrones. If, like me, you were on message boards and things like that for A Song of Ice and Fire, trying to, you know, talk about what was going to happen in the next book and stuff, every cunt would say the ultimate Game of Thrones video game was actually just Crusader Kings 2 with this mod. Like, that, that was it. Aye, because it's all about like being a tyrannical king and like committing incest and things like that. So, yeah, very Game of Thrones. <laughs> Aye. Well, I've been playing. Uh, oh, what you this man? I don't play many superhero games, right? I've, the last one I played, believe it or not, right? Was that Batman one? <laughs> well, I well, I what well, doesn't it count, man? That was fucking. <laughs> that was fucking horrid, man. No, no, no. Remember the old fucking Spider-Man game for the PlayStation? I had the 64 version. Yeah, the very first one, you mean, where Stan Lee did the voiceover and, hi, true believers, you know, I, I loved that, man. Fucking proper good, aye. aye. It was good. But that was the kind of last one I played. I played the Spider-Man one for a, it was a film version. Spider-Man, it came out years and years ago. And I didn't think it was up to much. So this is the first Well, Sp- Spider-Man games, you know, kind of vary. The PS5 Spider-Man, a lot of people have been... Going after not about say oh you know it really feels like you're you're actually Spider Man. Aye, well, this is what I was going to say about this game. I've been playing. I've been playing a uh, Batman Arkham Knight. Ah, okay. Uh, this is I, I wasn't known to expect because obviously the last Batman game I played was that fucking monstrosity Mac just mentioned. The one that, <laughs> the one that tried to be Mortal Kombat in a platform game, it's not what. But this one is uh, Arkham Knight, right? You're you're Batman. You're basically Batman. It's a big open city like Grand Theft Auto, a sandbox. And you've got um, the ability just to go anywhere you want, do anything you want. Do all your missions as Batman. You've got all your, kind of like Spider-Man, where you can strut along the city, you know, go up high. Um, you've got all these range of weapons that you can um, modify, make better and all that. And the killer, the fucking killer for me, man, in a good way, was with Batmobile. You've got a Batmobile that you can just call it any time, man, and just rip apart a city. Just looking for like wee scuffles and all that, and going up and just making a bit like Drudge Dread, man, just like, arresting cunts and fucking. Using kind of disproportionate violence on like muggers and things like that. Played, I think, the precursor to that. Was it called Arkham Asylum or Arkham Asylum? Uh, that Knight was the first one in the like, series. It put me in mind of all things of fucking uh, Manhunt. You know, a decent stealth mechanic with an actually satisfying dunt of violence. Um, you know, hiding in the shadows, 
swooping down and smashing fuck out of a couple of thugs and Aye, hiding yeah. again. I, 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 I really like that, actually. A lot of folk really I, rate the combat in those games. Um, I was just going to get into that, man. I, uh, obviously, combat can be hard and miss in these games, um, especially superhero games, but it can just put the same three punches over and over again. But in this one, mixes it up. Um, every bit of combat has got the same kind of mode. So you've got like a mode, a combat that you use when you're in the air, coming down the way, and you're jumping for a big height, and you want to like, fly kick somebody. There'll be a whole set of commands you can use there. And then when you hit a deck and you're one-on-one, that will open up a whole new set of commands you can do. And it's pure complex. And then you've got the grappling as well. Um, you can do things where you're in a grapple, and it opens up loads of different possibilities. So the fights are the same. It's also got a good dodge mechanic as well. The fighting's quite addictive. I, the AI's quite good. Um, and also, in this game, the story in the presentation, it feels kind of like... Uh, it's not so much Batman as your fucking... Uh, what's his name? Adam West and all that. Ah, yeah. it's, not so much, it's not so much that. It's more in the vein of like, no Christian one. Bale and that. Aye. Aye. It's more that type of thing. And I think uh, the way the Batman looks... I think it's uh, based on the Ben Affleck, so it's like right. a, it's like the newer version. Yet, you're not fighting the Joker on this one, which is a bit of a disappointment to be honest. He's one of the best characters. It was uh, the Scarecrow. Who was a bit less familiar with. Yeah, I, I like Scarecrow. Kelly and Murphy, right? <laughs> I don't know if it's him in this, but uh, it's the same sort of idea. He's basically got this chemical weapon um, with a toxin in it that turns people into zombies, and Gotham City's been evacuated. Because uh, everybody was just turning into these fucking mad like 28 days later things, and you are apparently immune to it. Which I don't know, I never explained that, pure plot hole. Because cause you're, um, cause you're a, a purebred uh, white Anglo Saxon, probably. I, according, according to like, the, the logic of Batman comics, it's probably something to do with that. Uh, aye, and you can also fly with a fucking rubber cape and all that, and that shit, I know. But uh, aye. Um, Bruce just don't apply to him. <laughs> no, well, it's, again, that's because um, if he was Russian, we would call him an oligarch, but um, he's American, so the, the term is billionaire. Superhero. Essentially, it's the same thing. <laughs> Oligarch is Russian for superhero. Aye, so aye. If you're mental about Batman, right? See, the whoever makes the bat suits, whatever his name is, not Alfred, the other wee guy. Uh, there's two of Morgan them. Morgan Freeman. Alfred and the other dude, aye. Morgan Freeman, aye. Uh, I can't remember his name, but he builds the suits, obviously. And they go to the bother of like, really like, constructing these fake sick packs. It's really camp. You know, <laughs> that's been a feature of the the Batman suits since like day one. He's got massive self image issues. This is why I would always say that uh, Val Kilmer again was a thinking man's Batman because he didn't have that physique, right? He was an overweight gentleman like us all, but his his detective skills were second to none. Did you really go to town on like the pants and like? Uh, how like shit that shouldn't even matter looks. I mean, the funny thing is, like, see when you're pure stoned and you look at things objectively, and you're not like caught up in this whole oh, it's Batman. That's what it's got about that. It looks fucking stupid to me. Like even em- ears. <laughs> what the fuck? But Batman, like it's it's not just about his capabilities. Like the the idea is that he's kind of trying to get some sort of psychological effect by his whole appearance and that. I don't know what that psychological effect is. Are you meant to be like confused or like horny or, or whatever? But it seems to do the trick. It just seems to me that uh, he's get. I Mick had it straight in the nose when he said it seems to be a guy that's just got a lot of money and just he's got a lot of insecurities man so he's going to make a fake rubber suit and... he does have deep seated psychological issues <laughs> see 
I don't know if I've got some kind of Scottish pride or maybe even Greenock pride, like a Greenock supremacy in my brain in some ways. Greenock supremacy. Right, right, right no, but let me explain. A guy with Hunter's expensive gadgets crashing through the window at a drug den and like a tap end going, who sold you the stuff? He's not walking out of there alive. No, is he? Fuck, man. No one else is getting... Not <laughs> stabbed, even a, stabbed to death. Not even me a bat wing, man. The bat wing would just get ah. slow off you, wouldn't it? <laughs> get melted down. 100% need. But another, one of the other good things about this game, too, which becomes a bit tedious, is it brings a new mode. Apparently, it's he can turn your Batmobile into a tank and just absolutely go tonto and it's just blowing everything up, man. <laughs> it's fucking smashing. It's, it's, it's one of them games that make you stand back and think... Fucking hell, man! Thirty three now, and just the how far games have came in the last twenty years. Maybe less than that. Fifteen years is fucking just amazing. It's, it's unbelievable what they can do now and how they can like, make a game just look like the uh, source material. Speaking of modern developments in gaming, we'll not spend much time on this. Elden Ring, the new FromSoft game is pretty much getting fucking tens across the board. As much as, like, Bloodborne kind of uh, frightens me, like, I think um, I might give this one a bash. It seems a bit more... Adding a bit of a kind of Breath of the Wild element um, to it, a bit more open world than that, and you can be tackling at your own pace a bit. But apparently, if you're not a FromSoft guy, if you've tried to get into Dark Souls and stuff like that, this isn't, like, baby's first FromSoft game Aye. either. Like, it's for cunts that already like it. Yeah, it'll still get your ass. But anyway, no, I, I just thought it merited mentioning because the the review scores for it have been off the fucking chains. Aye. There's one kind of gaming-related thing that I wanted to ask Andy about because I know he's pretty hyped up about this. That would be the Shemu anime series that's just kicked off. I think we all need to hear our resident Shemu heed's thoughts on that. We do, but we have also been on a 20-minute intro already. Um, <laughs> at this, this possibly merits a fucking special, to be honest. What I'll do is, I'll just get a, I'll, I'll get a brief synopsis so I'm not going to everything. I like what I see. Uh, it's well acted. The Japanese version's well acted. Not so sure about the English dub. Uh, whoever wrote it is very close to the source material. It's fucking good, man. Get it swatched if you've not seen it. Once the first season's out, we can maybe resurrect the old um, filler episode format and have a wee chat about that. It's fucking dino, man. Like, I've been getting up at half three, five in the morning, putting on Crunchyroll, man. <laughs> and uh, it comes on about half five in the morning. It's an on-demand service, man. You don't have to watch it at Tokyo time. Yeah, I know, but what they're doing is, because it's like, so, a quite a high-profile one, they only put one on per week. Ah, right, okay. Andy goes on a wee chat room as well. Well, other pure Shenmue heads and <laughs> they all like, talk about it live and that. We all know that, uh, aye, you know, you know what I'm like, man. But uh, <laughs> ah, it's, it's across the board. Every cunt's fucking happy with it. Roy fans are happy with it. And this is getting a lot better feedback than what was meant to be the big fucking game changer Shenmue 3, which was, uh, I'll get into that another day. I'm sure that'll be a fuller episode for me and you, Mick, one day. <laughs> right, well, Shenmue anime... Get it fucking checked out, um, and potentially there's a wee a wee special in that. We might um, we might do more on that, um, but I think that brings us to our first game of the evening. Usually, if we've got a meaty role playing game, we save it for last. We just get stuck right into it. But we're going to actually flip things around in this episode, and we are going to go to our role playing game. 
on the first segment. So, Mr. McCormick, if you would, why did you pick Final Fantasy Tactics for myself? So this is a, a favourite of mine. Takes a lot of boxes for me in terms of the kind of tactical combat, deep kind of RPG systems and all that. As Andy's mentioned a couple of times before, in my teenage years, like, kind of obsessed with Final Fantasy Tactics Advance on the Game Boy Advance. Um, I logged a, a whole load of hours in that. I think just the combination of all this kind of RPG gameplay that I loved on a handheld that you could just whip out wherever on a card journey, um, that sort of stuff. I was always a bit disappointed that you never had Sonic Advance on it. <laughs> I did. I did have. Um, I did have Sonic Advance, but it was never. I was never a favourite of mine, to be honest. I really enjoyed that, but I, I had played Final Fantasy Tactics like on emulator a few years before, and I kind of bounced off it. I just thought this is too difficult. Like there's permadeath and stuff. Um, I wasn't really understanding the story, but while I was playing that game and loving it, there was always something in the back of my mind that made me think I should really revisit the original. There's something about the original that's kind of starting to appeal to me more as I, as I was getting into it. So years later, when I had an iPhone, I discovered that Final Fantasy Tactics War of the Lions, which is the PSP remake um, with the new translation and a few other features, got made available on iOS um, and then later on Android. And I downloaded it on that. Um, had the patience um, at, at this point to actually get into it, and I, I really ended up loving it, loving the story, um, the way it was written and all that stuff. So you get two separate games here, two completely separate games. Aye, uh, completely different. Tactics Advance is a, sequ- is a sequel, so we're sticking with the, the very first one, which is more than enough <laughs> to cover this episode. But yeah, in, in the interests of full disclosure, myself and Mick have both been looking at War of the Lions, the mobile version. However, I would point out this is not a remake, it is mere like your enhanced editions, you know, like um, for um, when we did Baldur's Gate, a Planescape tournament. This is the same game, but we have a fucking fresh coat of paint, basically. Some quality of life improvements, a better translation, for instance. Um, That's what we've been looking at. So I'd kind of suggested this maybe in passing a couple of times. I would like Mick to play this, but I think it was met with a wee bit of trepidation. I think maybe at one point you'd started it and um, kind of bounced off it a bit, um, but you'd kind of made motions that maybe this is the time in your life that you wanted to, to, to get back into trying it again. So, yeah, I decided to give this one to you. And I think it's been a bit of a rocky road, which you can maybe um, get into, but um, hopefully it's ended up being a reward. I'm not going to lie, me and Mick went for a pint. No, me and Mick were talking at some point. I can't remember what it was. And he said to me, I'm fucking struggling with this game, man. He said, I'm fucking struggling with it. He said, hey, um, he was having the same problem I have in these tactics games, but you're enjoying it. Things are going well. But then you get these bats that fucking poison you, man. Games are fucking bogey. I think Mick well, felt a bit a wee bit of that essence um, at first. Well, so, right, this has been one that's been on my radar, obviously. Final Fantasy Heat, I think we're all kind of Final Fantasy Heats to varying degrees, but the ones in the series that always kind of arrested me the most captured my fucking imagination. Other than the, the PS1 versions are all the best ones, but outside of that, in terms of mechanics, my favourites were always three and five, right? Your job system was always a thing that I thought was the best thing about Final Fantasy. In terms of sheer fun and gameplay, couldn't beat it. Which, for me, Final Fantasy Tactics looked as if it was this successor to Final Fantasy V, where you would learn jobs 
in a Dungeons and Dragons sense, you you would have different classes that your characters were. You could make one person a knight, one person a mage, one person, you know, a fucking summoner. And then you can mix and match these things, sort of tailor different abilities to different classes, create your own fucking hybrids, just learn different abilities from different jobs and really fucking get in about it. So you had three on the, the NES or the Famicom, which sort of introduced this. Well, I mean, one did, but three, like you change jobs. Five kind of expanded on that and enhanced it. And then Tactics takes it to, you know, another level with a grid-based system as well. But I started playing it and in my probably kind of naivety, I thought, right, it's Final Fantasy. This is going to be softball for, you know, the first chapter or so. I'm going to just be... It's going to be a bit of a canter. I'll not dive too deep into these mechanics. I'll I'll keep three of my guys as a fighter and maybe have a healer. That's not the way to fucking play this. Like, I found that I was dying at every fucking random battle. I found that the game was punishingly difficult. I was getting raging. I was saying that I hated the game. <laughs> you were messaging me, venting quite a lot. Yep. Um, I had talked and, you down for the ledge a few times. Uh, and others. Um, I've seen forum posts and other such things where other folk trying to get into this game have just found it utterly fucking frustrating. And I'll tell you, this was your standard mistake if you were trying to play a Western role-playing game, right? So Final Fantasy generally will hold your hand. You will have an opening section with a lot of story and a lot of softball, easy battles. This just chucks you in and you'll get your cunt kicked in if you've not done your homework. It's got a lot of these complex systems. It's kind of the job system, the tactical kind of battles, which... I mean, it's common enough in, in other games. Is the Final Fantasy series, it's new, so you wouldn't even necessarily expect to kind of know how to, like, properly position troops and stuff like that, and if you had played plenty of Final Fantasies before. But this game, it kind of makes you, like, have to engage with all these really complex systems right from the beginning. It doesn't really quick, like, onboard you to them. Maybe it doesn't introduce them nice and slow, um, yeah. as, as a Final Fantasy game does. Sometimes Final Fantasy games do that a wee bit too slow, um, in my yeah. opinion, but this one, maybe this one, maybe has the opposite problem. See, I think this problem was my problem. It wasn't the game's problem. This was me, like again, to to use a bit of an idiotism. I was being a wee stupid baby. I didn't do the homework. You should be getting in here <laughs> and experiment. The game gives you five jobs to start halfway. Right, you should be chopping and changing your fucking units to the world go getting right in about it, experimenting, and you'll find the battles are easier. Aye. The game rewards experimentation. If you get in and you try and play it safe and you expect the game to throw you a fucking easy ride, you're going to have a bad time with it. I, I, I like about Final Fantasy games, as, as my favourite bits are when you're in the tunes and that, and you get to walk about and you get to meet like, all these weird characters. Some of them are like, half-written and that. I like that stuff. Um, but... Looking at kind of, I didn't play this game. I'm too fair to even get it, man. <laughs> Looking at this game, uh, is this more like? Is it less tunes and then dungeons as Final Fantasy? 
Natoons. Natoons. Especially see this game's not for me, and man, that fucking bull man, that was just uh, a <laughs> bit like torture for me, I think. No, um, the fights are fun enough. Well, if you put in a wee bit of work, the fights are fucking fun and rewarding enough that just fighting is a wee bit like. And McCormick, I think when we were talking, found this as well. Like the Pokemon card game, where it's actually quite a good public transport game. But you go, ah, right, fucking, I'll be at Glasgow Central in 20 minutes. I've got enough time to jump in and do a wee rammy. <laughs> fucking position my troops about in day one battle. It's fucking good for that. I mean, obviously, this wasn't a handheld game originally. Um, so it's maybe not the best kind of analysis of it. But I mean, it's fun enough like that. Uh, I, I do understand where you're coming from, Andy. Um, I. I like exploring and I like role playing and stuff like that, but um, I don't know. There is a lot to talk up in terms of what this game can offer, purely in terms of battle mechanics. But it is kind of hardcore nerd shit at the same time. Aye, uh, it's really just like these kind of tactical battles, which can take like maybe up to twenty-five minutes or something. You know, some of the um, the kind of more involved fights. Like it's not just like a wee random battle in a Final Fantasy game. If you kind of really do engage with the, the fighting system and really enjoy those, you're kind of happy having, like, j- just having that, really. And then the story is told in between. We may get into the story later, but um, yeah, it's, it's told in a kind of more of a kind of visual novel, almost, sort of way. It's like a bit, bit of story, a couple of fights, um, kind of rinse and repeat that way, rather than you doing exploring in a kind of open-ended way. I think we'll leave the story till the kind of end bit here, but um, mostly the battle mechanics are the main thing to talk about here. What I would say about this is that it is also the fucking cl- the closest um, a Final Fantasy game for me has ever come to feeling like playing a game of Dungeons and Dragons. Um, like everything from your tabletop fucking versions of every character can move um, a certain amount. You've got you've got a movement turn, and then you can take an action basically. It feels a lot like a big Rami in a tabletop role-playing game for me. Yeah, I think it's much more common than that with your, than your your standard JRPG fights. The wee kind of battle levels, they look kind of like wee sort of dioramas, like almost like something you would see on a tabletop. Um, you're moving your wee figures around, so there is some animation, but yeah, you kind of uh, that that's kind of what it what it reminded me of looking at was like you know those kind of really meticulously put together Warhammer levels, you know that that folk build. Yes, a balsa and, wood. <laughs> we kind of had a wee element of that to it. Um, and also, it's got a wee bit of fucking. I don't know, man. I, I, obviously, the graphics have been a lick of paint, but I think they're pretty close to the original. Um, in terms of your your bog standard levels, they've got that kind of evergreen thing where. I don't know, would you call it 2.5D where it looks as if it's like late snares or something like that? Yes, um, on, on the PS1, like, it seemed to be like a, a toss-up with these games whether you're going to have like 2D pre-rendered backgrounds and 3D models on them or like 3D levels but with sprites. And this is this is the second one. So you had like really, really good kind of well-detailed sprites but then in a 3D world that you can kind of rotate the camera around and stuff like that. So I suppose like... 3D, but it doesn't use 3D models for like you know people's characters or people's faces or things like that. I I like I like the graphics. I like the kind of sprites. It had that thing that you mentioned in um, Sweetened Two, where there's a lot of like animations that you only see once. Like yeah, 
um, little detailed animations. Like, you know, you see, like, um, Argath, like, skimming stones on the water and that. Like, that's not an animation you would see anywhere else. Aye. One of the criticisms I'd make about Final Fantasy, like, the first time you do a summon, it's amazing. You're like, whoa, man! The 737th time you do a summon. <laughs> you're kind of, how the fuck do I skip this, man? So it's, it's good that there's, like, um, unique stuff in the battles, I suppose. It's a wee change for Final Fantasy. Yeah, so like in terms of the in the difficulty, like you, it seems like you were kind of getting to a point where like you come up against a really frustrating battle, and you're like fucking hell, like this guy, um, he can he can attack for a distance. Whenever I hit him, he heals automatically. Like this is fucking bullshit. But then realizing that well, actually, I, I could learn how to do this. Like my characters would have the opportunity to do this if they were a certain class in a certain job, and it kind of. You know, when you reach a really tough battle, it kind of always gives you some ideas. Like, okay, maybe if I if I put a few levels into this, or if I try this out, maybe that's how I can beat them. The fucking the clues in the name, man. It's about the fucking tactics. Um, <laughs> I think I mentioned this on Baldur's Gate, where and again, it's like a another game I enjoy that might fucking uh, eventually make its way on here. Icewind Dale, where you get a big set piece battle. You get to a certain point, and it'll be like, okay, the map looks like this. They've got two healers who are really going to make my life fucking difficult. We've got a big cunt with an axe who deals a lot of fucking damage. Rather than just try to charge in and fucking, I don't know, maybe maybe just hitting them with your best attacks and your best spells, you need to fucking think about... You know, often a fucking cheap tactic is the best thing, like casting an invisibility spell on your mage and firing a fireball in was a good thing in the Icewind Dale or Baldur's Gate games. So when you think in that mindset when it comes to Final Fantasy Tactics, you think, okay, well, I'll fucking train a couple of people to learn some black magic, jump up on this war and start fucking dousing everybody with fireballs or training a load of people to be archers. And So, yeah, basically... um, Using a lot of cheap tactics can be the way forward. Um, if you, you know, you make a lot of your guy. If you, you find that the area you're about to fight in has some high ground, if you make a lot of your guys archers and just jump up, you can fucking pepper fuck out the baddies and, and kill them really easily. It's one of these instances where you... I think you're maybe encouraged to try and think cheap. Yeah, you can break things with, with enough kind of effort applied, like if you unlock certain classes, combine their abilities with abilities for other classes, which kind of makes up for their weaknesses. Um, you can have folk that are pretty unstoppable. Aye, and it doesn't feel like cheating. It feels like I'm a genius. You put the work in. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, the thing that I think made it like quite addictive for me, this kind of does a kind of addictive formula that's kind of like crack to me, I think, where it's like... You have that thing where you only need to play a wee battle at a time, you know, 10, 20 minutes or whatever, on the bus home. But also, when you finish that, it's it's quite rewarding. But also, you're, you're working towards a goal. You've got a kind of levelling goal that you're going for. So your character levels up and gets you know, stronger, faster, whatever. But also, there's different jobs that they can be given. So they may be a knight, they may be a black mage. And they're levelling up that job and learning new abilities. And when they get certain jobs at certain levels, that unlocks new ones. So as you're fighting these battles, you might be like, well, 
if I get a few more XP here, I might unlock the thief and that. If a few levels the thief Aye. lets me unlock a ninja, and I quite want to have two guys as a ninja and one guy as a black mage. So you end up just doing one more battle and one more battle and kind of working towards this goal. And the, before you know it, you've you kind of put hundreds of hours into the game. Aye, I, I, what would happen if I had three samurais? And then you think, yeah. hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this happen. To get on to the plot briefly, this for me is possibly even more so than Final Fantasy VII. Maybe the most left-wing and cynical of any Final Fantasy game. <laughs> Anyone with a, a medieval setting anyway. Yes, it's interesting. Like, um, I was reading up a bit. Well, actually, I've, I've lifted this for another podcast called State of the Art, which you might want to listen to, but I, I gleaned a few interesting things about the kind of inspirations for the stories. So, like, more so than any other Final Fantasy game I've played is... It's like a mid- medieval setting, but like but much more historically sort of. I'm not accurate, <laughs> but like it seems much more it's like it's it's like inspired by inspired by real history. It's a no, Japanese they, accurate view. No, no, no. actual like actually like you've you've studied a bit of it. Like um, it, the 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 plot a bit kind of like you know rival rival houses in a royal family and like um, to get disputed succession and stuff like that all this shit actually did happen you know in the middle ages uh, at some point the game does get into like you know a bit more traditional final fantasy fare but it was like inspired by the kind of the history of Europe like the war of the roses and the hundred years war much like you know your song ice and fire books kind of took that and put it into a, a fantasy setting but also he said he was inspired um, the, the creator of this game by the the class and faction system that he found at Squaresoft, <laughs> so like you know, like you you might hear this like I, I definitely heard this like when when you hear like old interviews of all the work for Sega. Um, there's a bit of a kind of deference to like, the leadership, like you know, the higher ups in the company kind of are treated like lords and princes, and folk are very scared of pissing them off in that, and folk are quite aware of their their place in the hierarchy. But also there's kind of factions as well, like, you know, with Sega, folk were saying that, um, um, like, Yuji Naga maybe had a wee faction of people around him, um, there was a bit of a, a rivalry with the Yu Suzuki faction, things like that, so I think um, when Yasumi Matsuno joined Square, he hadn't been there for very long and he was quite aware of these dynamics in the <laughs> Square and he kind of tried to bring that into the plot a bit. For me, and I, I, I need to go back to, to Papa Karl Marx, Ch- chapter one... Definitely had a wee bit of fucking historical materialism in it. <laughs> it wasn't just fucking, you know, these great main characters that shape the way everything turns out and destined chosen ones who will decide on what happens to the land forever. The the the, the factions and the economic conditions that created them were arguably as important as any fucking single fucking lord or lady or whatever the fuck yeah so in chapter one you've kind of it's, it's the aftermath of this big long war i think they call it the 50 years war and um, which had like a lot of the the peasants and stuff would be recruited to join the army and the it ended in a kind of stalemate but kingdom of Ivelisse, it was it was in pretty bad shape like economically afterwards all the soldiers were pretty much just sent back home um with, with no money and just told like just just get back to your daily lives. And they were fucking they were skint, they couldn't feed their children. So some of them decided to start a faction called the Corpse Brigade, um, led by a guy called Wigraf, who is a kind of charismatic, kind of revolutionary type of figure. He best best cunt. Like yeah, yeah I, he wants uh, like to overthrow I, the nobility. 
yeah, he's, he's kind of the villain, but also the, his his place in the story and how these kind of like nobles sort of exploit um, his uprising for like their own kind of selfish ends is what kind of drives the first part of the plot. So the the first part of the plot has you. You are the son. You're, you're nobility, right? Your your dad was a great fucking noble hero. Blah blah blah. You're from a noble house. Um, you've joined up with the army to try and make a name for yourself. And it's like you need to go and kill these fucking horrible revolutionaries. In a standard JRPG, I would think the plot would unveil something as thus: your character would probably see the revolutionaries at a point. And then say, do you know what? We, as the monarchy, need to be kinder. We need to be benevolent <laughs> rulers. And, you know, you would probably fight against a bad monarch. And then a good monarchy would take control and everybody would be happy. Do you know, some some kind of fucking Prince of Thieves shit like that. And this, the revolutionaries get slaughtered. The aristocrats treat working people like dirt, including... A wee guy that's on your team, he gets called a dog. Um, his sister gets shot with an arrow for basically no reason, dies in the dirt while this guy gloats. Basically, the revolutionaries die, the aristocrats are bastards, and your wee main character, Ramsay, is called, but I called him Rizzler. <laughs> he gets all disillusioned and just goes, well, I'm kind of not going to fight for the aristocracy anymore because they're all evil bastards. Um, and that's that's the game. That's the setup. The, the thing that I thought was kind of yes, like left winger Marxist about this opening chapter was that there's two characters that have a very strong class consciousness, and that's not something you can say about very many characters in Final Fantasy games. Maybe <laughs> no. maybe, ba- maybe Barrett at a push. So you've got Delita, who's your kind of childhood friend of Ramza, and Ramza he's a, a noble for quite a well-respected house. Delita, his wee pal, is a, a commoner, and he. It's experienced basically firsthand the just how shite that he's treated like among his, his peers. Like he's at this academy, this um, this kind of knights academy with Ramza, and people just treat him like shit for for who he is. Um, just for from before his birth, uh, his wee sister gets kind of bullied and stuff at school as well. Um, so when when the, when the plot kind of like kicks into gear, him and Ramza kind of go down different paths because he has got a much more sort of intimate knowledge of like how much the nobility are exploiting his class. Um, you've also got Argath, who's the guy that, that Mick said joined your party. He has class consciousness in a way because he is also a noble, but he is from a, a family who were kind of disgraced. I think his granddad maybe fought in the war and um, folks seem to think he was a traitor, whether or not he was or not. So his house, while they're still nobles, um, have are in dis- disrepute, basically. But he's kind of turned this into like a. He's so desperate to, you know, to be seen as is is a noble and not like those kind of filthy commoners. He he just turns all his anger outwards onto them. Yeah, like when they, the, you know, when when they're trying to interrogate one of the folk from the corpse brigade, um, asking them where this this Marquis he's kidnapped is. He goes mental with the guy. He starts slapping him about and calling him like. Common muck horsing and all that stuff. <laughs> like Ramza has to go. Like, hey, hold on, you <laughs> calm down here. And he, he's the kind of flip side of that. He's he's the kind of precarious middle class, which is always so terrified that they're going to well, be, become working class again. And and sometimes go harder on the working class to try and get ahead. <laughs> exactly. But it's yes, all about getting that surplus value, man. 
Get out, you're, you're golden. Big time. Um, but I've never seen a Final Fantasy game with maybe such a cynical outlook to the concept of nobility. Not even just like, as I say, usually in Final Fantasy there are a good kings and bad kings or good queens and bad queens. Some kingdoms are good and some kingdoms are evil type thing. Like, very basic kind of morality plays. Whereas in this, I don't know, you would probably play through the first chapter and it wouldn't be unreasonable for you to think, all right, well, maybe having nobles in general is a bad thing. Yeah, the plot does get a, a wee bit more kind of Final Fantasy-esque as it, as it goes on. Like I would say chapter one, the chapter one is probably my favourite in terms of story because it does stick to that stuff. As it gets later, there's elements of like magical crystals and ancient prophecies and stuff which you can kind of take a leaf. Um, I got to... I found out about the Zodiac Stones, and again, this is getting into a wee bit more kind of standard Final Fantasy territory with MacGuffins and the the evil church. I managed to beat Gathgarian in that fight. He's a, a horrible old kind of mercenary cunt. Nice. Because that battle was a pain in the ass. I think that is... Is that chapter two, end yeah. of, or something? So that that's about where I left off. But I did enjoy it in the end. I... Came into this, hated it because I hadn't done the homework. I completely see why this will sometimes, even big-time Final Fantasy fans, turn them away. I think it's because you're expecting too easy a ride. You need to put in a wee bit of work to get the fucking reward out of this. And then when you've got it, it is fucking fun. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Like, I'm glad that you managed to turn your opinion around on it. I think it just does take a wee bit of effort and a bit of maybe unlearning some of your kind of Final Fantasy tropes. The guy that the guy that made it, um, Yusumi Matsuno, he's made a few games for Square set in this same land, this Ivalice at various points in its history. I think Final Fantasy Twelve was it was based there. Yeah, similar kind of setting, similar kind of vibes. But he um he started off. A company called Quest um, was famous for a game called Tactics Ogre, which I think has maybe got a lot more in common with this, like than Aye. it does than this does a Final Fantasy. <laughs> um, just one thing I wanted to say about that game: um, this game's got a lot of like historical influence. War of the Roses, um, the, the name of the rose actually was brought up as part of, as a, as a really influence. yeah because of the whole like the plot that as it goes in later, it's all about this. There's kind of secret history almost like. It, it, ah. it, it frames it like, you know, everyone knows the story of Delita, but nobody knows the story of Amza. That's been suppressed by the church. What we really want is a War of the Buttons game. You ever seen War of the Buttons? <laughs> War of the Buttons. Here, by the way... Um, That's a tactical RPG <laughs> right there. Well, ta- Tactics Advance, the, the opening mission is a snowball fight. That's kind of War of the Buttons-esque. <laughs> it's ki- kids having fun. The one thing I wanted to say about Tactics Ogre, in terms of its um, influences, historical influences... This was the, apparently inspired by the Yugoslav Wars and particularly the, the Bosnian Genocide. So it sounds like a laugh riot. War and uh, genocide and murder and things blown up in Europe. Who'd have thought it? Aye, some things never change. <laughs> right, well, one last thing before we kind of close this section off. What did you think of the the translation or I guess the way the game is written? It's written in a very old-fashioned Shakespearean or... Um, I guess George R. R. Martin kind of style, which you haven't really yeah. seen in any other Final Fantasy games. And this this is purely for the PSP version. The original game didn't have this at all. No, it, I mean, it's good fun. It's immersive and, and funny sometimes. Um, 
I like. I think we were talking in the group chat about um, how some cunt calls you wee moppets, yeah, and folk are calling each other "hoor son" and things like that. It's it's good fun. Yeah, it's great. You encounter like these um, kind of baddies later on. These demons which speak in like an even more antiquated way. You know, like say like saying power, but with, like with no e, with an apostrophe before they are. Uh, like like you hear in the Bible or something. Um, yes, it's quite different that the, the, the game as it came out in the PS1 the transition it made a lot of mistakes it wasn't very good but it was also just much more plain English so like the the line I was talking about when we were chatting when you when you meet Delita I'd forgotten that they changed this for the remake in the original the princess is like oh why are you kidnapping me and uh, he says blame yourself or God which is like a cool fucking mysterious anime phrase. But in this game, he says, forgive me, tis your birth and faith that wrong you, not I. Which is maybe a bit wordier, but like also a lot more meaningful. Yeah, I mean, it <laughs> Probably, tells you what... what it tells you actually what it, what... it tells you his goals. It doesn't just give you some edgelord bullshit. Although... Uh, Delita does have some Jaden Smith-esque lines where I don't know what the fuck he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. But I um, I would also echo something Andy was saying where part of what I like in role-playing games is kicking about the tune, going to taverns, talking to random people and things like this. I think this, for me, is like the beginning of a marriage between... Final Fantasy aesthetics and something like an Infinity Engine game like ah. Icewind Dale or like Baldur's Gate and if you had something that took that that wee bit further where you had a Final Fantasy tactics but you could also explore Everless and talk to people and fucking complete quests and things like that um, probably be a top 10 game for me but as it stands I, I enjoyed this a lot and it's got my recommendation, but with caveats, it's probably not for everybody, but for certain people, it's going to be very much your jam. <laughs> it's one of them ones where on this podcast, uh, sometimes we used to talk about RPGs and stuff like that. I'm thinking to myself, I don't think it's that the game's bad, it's just that I've not got your attention span to sit there and, and learn the game, and that's that's my character's fault. But just well, hearing these talk about it, it's obviously a game that they've put a lot of thought into. That brings us nicely onto our next game actually because this is something Andy Mac has always been one you know if something's a wee bit text heavy using phrases like calling it a, a teletext simulator know that I was thinking in terms of a challenge of oh let's let's find a text simulator game that Andy would like this one had been on my radar for a wee while and just because in the past she enjoyed things like facade and this is a wee bit strange and a bit academic, actually. Andy Mack obviously being our resident academic I as well. Mean... <laughs> uh, um, well. No, you're uni boy. Um, this just, it's just weird and it's wordy and I, I thought you would be the man to, to have an interesting perspective on it. But this is um, Alter Ego. It's purely text-based and it's a, a life simulator I think the 70s. Um, how did you get on with it? Aye, man. Uh, I like a wee weird thing. So, are they? And when you described this to me, um, I kind of put a picture in my head that, as you said, a kind of left field game like Facade. Facade was one of my favourite games so last year or year before. When I sat down to play it, I didn't know what to fucking expect. I guess I logged on 
and I realised, like, when you said it was made in the 80s type thing, I really didn't know what to expect, was I going to have like, just a pure black and white text thing, uh, looking like a BBC micro and all that, but it was even more basic than that. There is a browser based version which is what we played, um, but that's all just the same text that would be on, I think it might actually come out in the micro, it was on the C64, the Apple II, it came out in a, in a, a whole load of these old micro computers. But I, um, we were playing a browser-based one. I, I've played games like this before in the past. Um, I played one called uh, Zork. Was it Zork? Aye. I quite liked that. I quite liked how um, you build the game in your head, essentially, and um, being able to type out your command instead of moving a wee guy about. It's a, it's a viable and it's a good way of working. But you don't really type in this game, but it's the no, same sort it's of idea. It's just, it's just you pick, you pick for a series up. Basically, what will happen is the game takes you from birth till death. Um, you, you're you born and you're a baby, and then you click through a series of events where it will, it will ask you things like, you've just shat yourself, do you want to try and hide your pants, or do you want to look for your mum? Like, if, you, if you're at the baby stages, it's, it is literally stuff it's, like that. Like, uh, it's very visceral, and it's um, delivery of <laughs> what it wants to get across. Eh? I'll give you an example. You start off as a baby, so it literally says, right, we're going to ask 30 questions about your personality, and you can put in what you think. So it asks you things like, like how how aggressive are you? Are you willing, would you just get, jump straight to aggression and fighting, or would you be like a shrinking violet? Maybe a lean towards cowardice and all that. So Aye, it this because well, you get stats, don't you? Aye. Um, it builds, it builds up a wee profile of you. And when you've completed this kind of 30 question kind of section that felt as if it was lasting forever to be honest <laughs> when you get to the very end you're presented with like a chart um, and the chart has got like various um, different kind of aspects to it you've got time you've got real love hearts you've got like, social things um, and if you go through the middle um, chart it sort of takes you through a progression uh, basically scenarios real life scenarios so, for instance, when you're a baby, it might say, you're in your cot, um, and there's a toy sitting in front of you. Do you throw the toy out, or, uh, cuddle the toy, or piss on the toy? Something like that. <laughs> something, just, Aye. something crazy like that. And then, it'll, and then the game will deduce for your uh, your selection um, what that selection would... Exactly. In, in, terms of, in terms of your development as a human being depending on what you pick through different stages of your life, it starts painting that sort of picture of what you become later in life. Aye, um, like maybe if you threw that toy at the pram, it would suggest you're like a mere forceful person and that kind of changes one one start. Or maybe you do something creative and it's like, well, you know, he's a, he's a creative baby that adds things to that start. And then later on in the game, kind of various decisions can kind of take your these stats into account. So the games obviously get different variables um, based on what you you choose. So we also get one for like, aggression. So we also get one for like, how clever you are, how apt you are at kind of understanding and socialising with people and Aye. stuff. I'm telling you, right, now, the, the person that wrote this game obviously done it um, with some sort of purpose in mind because uh, some sort of purpose that wasn't just for like, a video game because some of the... Some of the descriptions of what happens to you are fucking mental. Like, the first time I played this, I made it to being a a child. Like, a, a young child, maybe about six or seven or something. Something like that. And uh, I died, man. I died by 
a strange car pulled up and I wandered over. Um, the gentleman in the car kind of spoke to me like, oh hello, nice day isn't it? And I've just been like, oh yes, lovely day and all that, blah blah. And the guys offered to give me a run to school and I've just blindly got any motor. So the game comes back and says, oh, uh, the man that you've got in the car with is a very sick individual. Um, you're aye, captured. Aye. Um, the man has his way with you for several weeks and you eventually die. <laughs> yeah, an abrupt kind of horrible tonal shift. Aye, and you're sitting there like that. What? And the thing is, see when you die in this game, which there's a lot of ways to fucking die apparently, um, when you die in this game you can't just press the browser back and continue, it fucking ends the game so you've got to start again. That's life. That is life, aye. <laughs> the fact that I think both of you picked that option to fucking go away in the motor with the, the child molester, I'm amazed that you actually did make it past childhood in real life. What you find yourself doing, Mick, or what I find myself doing, is because this is alter ego, it's boring to make the decisions you would make in your real life. That's true. Well, exactly. I did, I'm, I'm not just going to make me. Aye, I did that the first game just to kind of get a sense of the baseline, but the second time I played it, I, I did go a bit different. So you're wanting to be fair, fair enough, it's role playing. Yeah, but then you just get the storyline with your feather, and if your feather hates the lawnmower. I don't think so. Right. Your feather, you notice that your feather's shouting all the time when he's gardening. And uh, your feather um, has a pet name for his lawnmower. It's, uh, it doesn't make clear what the name is, but it's like. See that symbolic swearing? Where it's like dollar sign, at sign. Aye. Aye, so it's like symbolic swearing. So he's obviously like calling the lawnmower a fucking cunt or something, you know what I mean? But um, you can choose to mimic like, your dad's anger. So you can start calling like, your toys and that in uh, the same name. And uh, it kind of follows you into school and all that. And like, this is like pure like, development stuff. This is stuff that Wayne's actually go through. And, uh, well take it to school it, with them, you know? It, it gets a wee bit cringe in places because <laughs> I, I don't know how... I, I played this to... I, I got to the Jack and Victor, I got to the, the Out Age scenario, I played through the man version and the woman version. Um, obviously this is made in the fucking 1970s, so gender doesn't really get much more complex than this is a guy version, this is the last version. <laughs> But um, you get like your your first wank scenario. Mm. Yeah, that was pretty cringe. That's pretty um, cringe. <laughs> <laughs> you get you get a first masturbation scenario for the last as well. It's a bit different. Nah, I didn't um, play that one. I think we played as a man. I'm a fucking ooh, misogynist, and I'm not playing as a lassie. I'm with my fucking like. Well, but anyways, <laughs> as a, a brief aside, I would definitely take some points off this game for outdated attitudes. The lassies seem to get a, a lot more restrictions in how, how their life can turn out and where they can go. Like you know, in the kind of um, I think as the teenager. Or young adult section, there's a bit where you can choose to take risks. Yes. Um, and the risks for the guy are things like skydiving um, or going on a motorbike ride. The risks for the lassie are. Would be a risk. <laughs> the risks for the lassie are like, trying out a, a mad haircut. <laughs> <laughs> what, did, what about your boss? Did he like your boss character? There's a boss in it. Explain. Right. So. There's a boss. Not an end of level boss like your manager. Um, it's a bit like a guy for. Remember the whole game, man? You get a thing you made, Mick. The guy says, oh, I'm pulling your plunger. He'll insult you terribly, and you feel <laughs> terrible, and then he'll go, I'm only pulling your plunger. As if that instantly makes light of the situation. We get a guy like that, and uh, <laughs> you, it, it describes a scenario where the business isn't doing too well, and you can smell like he's going to fire you a mile away. Oh, um, yeah, I got that. 
you can choose to just fucking turn around and break his nose, and you're treated like a hero. Can you get can you get a jail an alter ego? I didn't get a jail. I mean, I think a lot of the scenario. It, it, I mean, it's impressive and it's quite complex for the time, but you generally, if you played through this a couple of times, you you've probably seen most of the scenarios, but. There's a wee bit of fucking randomness in there as well. As I was saying, one of the times I played through this, I was in childhood and it just said, like, I clicked on one of the things and it said, oh, by the way, your, your mom's got cancer and she's died. And then when I was trying to, like, click on certain scenarios, it was going, oh, no, sorry, this is a scenario for only if you've got two parents alive. I was like, that's a, that's a bit fucking... It's a bit of a gut punch when you see <laughs> that one. I mean, yeah. yeah, I get that as well. The first time I played it, I had, like, um good relationship with my family. Both family members were still alive up to my, my middle age. The second one, it seems like I had quite a bad relationship with the mom. The mom was very strict with me, and I kind of lashed out. But also the dad, he kind of suddenly passed away as well. So I was, yeah... And that one I was just left with, like, a mom who didn't like me very much. Um, <laughs> what about... Um, can pan out in a couple of different ways. Did you just meet Lewis, the boy that you meet in your... When you're about, I think about 13, 14. At this point, it kind of it starts hitting you with weird shit, man. It goes, uh, Lewis just touches your bosom and all that, and <laughs> what do you do next? Oh, is there, is there like, um, like gay experimentation in it? Aye, aye, apparently. And, oh, uh, I never got that. I didn't want to. My missus uses a laptop, man, so I didn't want to. I didn't want to fucking get down that road, you know what I mean? But um, it'd make a fucking freak out or whatever. But. Coward. <laughs> but um, I, you get all that stuff today, and again, it just shows you that this guy's absolutely went for it, man. Who is it? Is it Activision? I, I believe that there was some sort of educational purpose to this. Um, I think it was. Partially written or designed by somebody with a background in psychology or something like that. So I read up a little bit about this guy called Peter J. Favreau. He, he kind of he played up the fact that he had a, a psychology degree. He, he, he mentions like on the kind of I think on the cover of the game or on the start screen that it's like Doctor Peter J. Favreau PhD. So they kind of approached Activision. And his kind of unique selling point was that, well, I'm actually a, a psychologist. I know a bit about human development. I'll make this game and I'll make it pretty accurate. And Activision were at the time quite innovative. They were like trying to make quite high-minded sort of games. So um, they were really sold in this idea. But he does it. He's, he's maybe like kind of oversold his credentials a wee bit. Like he is a psychologist, but I think he has like quite specific, um, quite specific fields of study. And he's maybe drawn in that a wee bit. I think like he he was like a childhood psychologist, maybe or like developmental, but without very much experience, without without very much experience in the kind of later stages in life. So some of it is maybe you know slightly educational, but I think it's it's more it's a bit more fictionalized and it's not it's not an entirely educational thing. There's a weird tone to it though. It's a bit um. It seems like kind of lecturing and preaching at some points. Yeah. Just like, I'm not sure what they're trying to... Sometimes you just feel like it's just enjoyment and sometimes you feel like he's trying to tell you something. And because it was made in the 80s, he's, the things he's trying to tell you can be like quite outdated. I got an image of like a boy theater presenter going, imagine yourself in a blah, blah, blah. And that's what I was getting for your eye with the tone. <laughs> things like um, talk back to your parents and it's like, 
oh well you know you maybe you maybe shouldn't do that you know you might you might alienate your parents and you know ch- children that do that might it can end up with like a bad relationship with their parents later in life and it's like well why are you telling me this man it's a bit late <laughs> I'm, in my, I'm, in my, I'm in my 30s like. did you meet your uncle Sam is that the one that uh, you meet is a is a baby and you can punch him in the nose? Yeah, basically. Oh, I never get that. Uncle Sam's a creepy uncle scenario. Um, yeah, I did get that. You find that he wants to spend a lot of time in it. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't fucking follow it. I didn't like where it was going. So well, I just punched him right in the nose. Once bitten, twice shy. Do you know what I mean? If they, you've gone down the child molestation tree in this game. One too many times, you're going to punch <laughs> anybody in the nose. I certainly didn't hold back for fucking stuff like that. Um, it was all very visceral. It, it, I mean, if he was going to give you like, a bad scenario, it would be like, right, okay, what's the worst thing I can? What's the worst outcome here? It's like very, like, it's like very mathematical. It's like oh, no nuance, or no qualitative. It's all in the last. In the last game I played. I witnessed a car crash and like, Wayne died in my arms because I didn't treat them <laughs> well enough. See, <laughs> that was not a gut punch. There's also right, so there's there's a weird duality from from Peter J. Favaro where you know, like there's a, there's this conservatism where it's like, um, well, you know, maybe you should listen to your parents sometimes. Quite strict gender roles, heteronormative. Father knows best in that. <laughs> then I did. I, I I went through the uni path, right? I I did pretty well in one of my playthroughs. Had excellent academic scores and that. So I, I I went through and got all the college credits. And one of my college experiences was um, <laughs> I went to my pal's dorm room and he was like, oh, I came and him and his missus were like partially dressed. And it was like, right, okay, they've been pumping. And he's like, ah, alright, mate, I need to jump out of the shops or whatever. And then it was like, his girlfriend tries it on with you in a state of undress. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm a good friend. I'm, I'm not going to do that. And, uh, and again, <laughs> again, basically went, well, maybe you should have pumped her. Ah, you're not playing along, eh? Makes you feel kind of bad, eh? It was like your pal went, oh, you should have went for it, mate. Like, free love and that, we're at uni. Like, you're, you're only young ones and stuff. The guy, the guy that, that, that wrote that scenario was the lassie. The guy, yeah, the guy I that wrote this, this isn't like randomly generated. The guy's trying to take you through his idea of what life is. And somebody's just fucking weird, man. I think, you... I think, I think it very much is one man's idea. Of what, <laughs> <laughs> I, that's, I think that's what made me a bit uncomfortable because it, it, it lures you into thinking that this is all peer-reviewed, sort of scientific, sort of like years of behavioural psychology teaching you how to live your life. But then it's just like one guy's mad fucking weird fantasies. Is it also not quite addictive and fun? I enjoyed it, man. I like seeing the different ways it can turn out. It's not gamey. It's not got any mechanic to it. It's um, it's basically reading a novel. I like remember them books yeah. we used to get, Mac- Sonic, but pick your own adventure. That's what it is, essentially. It's like um, I made advanced version of that, where uh, you basically click your way through it instead of like, go to page seventy nine for the answer and all that. And it's um, it's very freaky. It does. So you you get. Like suicidal mates and all that um, that can make you suicidal and as you said you get like choices between like, good adultery and bad adultery and all that and I don't even know what that fucking means aye no but like I had, I'm sure I played it and it, it was maybe during the teenage phase and it was a pal who was like suicidal and it was like I, I told him to wise up and then I was like do you know what 
I'm going to hang about him a lot, man. Just make sure he gets through this or whatever. And the game was like, can I live your life for somebody else? <laughs> he's, he's, do you know what I mean? He's going to date or he's not. Like, you can't waste your time on other people. I was like, hold on a minute. <laughs> what, what, what paper was that based on? That insight? <laughs> so, I game's morality, built-in morality function, is a bit ski-whiff. Um, well, definitely. But yeah. The thing I was talking about, like, good adultery and bad adultery. Like, what you were talking about, Mick, where you go for a double date, essentially, um, with your best mate's two pals... No, your best mate's missus and her pal. But your mate tells you that he doesn't even want to be his terrible girlfriend, he just wants you instead. So you can have a romantic moment with him, but you're also good friends with like, his missus too. But the game, if you do like, the immoral thing and just kind of fuck your lassie, the game considers that just a completely immoral thing to do. I think there's a wee bit of the old, like, you know... If a lassie shags around, she's a slut. But if a guy does it, he's a fucking legend. Like, <laughs> I think there's an element of that to this guy's morality. I got a fucking weird one as well, where it's like you meet an old pal with school. You, you think she's been drinking. She thinks she's and she speak to her and she's like, I'm, "I'm distraught. I think my husband's having an affair." And then you confront them about it. And then later you find out you actually see him, the husband with like this young blonde around his arm. Get the option to say to the missus about it. And then it's like, well, you shouldn't be sticking your nose in other people's business. <laughs> <laughs> like, now you've just alienated your friends. This is my game, not yours. <laughs> also, also, like, I think, I think Peter J. Favreau probably had extramarital affairs because <laughs> you can, you know, get college credits, university credits as well. But there are also different screens you can go on to to pursue relationships and have children and stuff like that. Um, and I was playing as a woman, I had a husband, I had two lanes, and I was going through scenarios, and it was like, um, you know, I met a handsome man that I knew for school or whatever, <laughs> shagged him, and the, the text was basically like, that was basically like a wee brussy bonus for you, do you know what I mean? Maybe they threw out about it, and I didn't do anybody any harm, so for yeah. play to you. So, as, <laughs> so that, and as, and as that one I was playing like was the that we kind of have to get your 12 college credits, you have 12 college experiences, like 10, two of them are academic and the other 10 were like flings. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a piece of American pie. It's pretty weird that in this game, like, if you lean towards being a moral and well-considered person Great with mild waste. manners, you're more likely to die a horrible death or be brutally traumatised. <laughs> but if you be an absolute arsehole, then you can, the majority of the game, you can still deal with the key events that would make you a hero, like punch your boss and all that. Um, so it seems to be that the game is kind of be utilitarian, man. You know what I mean? Don't be a, yeah, don't be this a pussy. Is, this, this is what I wanted to get to, Andy, because as I said, you are, I mean, take the title or no, I'm gaining it. You are our resident academic. <laughs> well, that's, that says nothing for um, this podcast, but... He's, um, he's, he's a wee bit of a... You know, if your background's more sociological, <laughs> he's a wee bit of an academic perspective on this. Right, okay, so I would say that the writer of this is definitely from the European School of Academia, um, whereby uh, it's heavily, heavily influenced by classical sociology, um, probably like functionalism more than anything. It's a very conservative outlook, maybe a lot of classical liberalism in it. It takes place in a world where there's a lot of uh, emphasis on individualism, 
and a lack of stringent kind of policies that stop you having freedom of choice. It essentially takes place in the most liberal universe that you can imagine. Um, but it does teach you that even if there is liberalism and there is um, liberty to do anything you want, it, yes, you really do run the risk of sticking your finger on that plug and fucking zapping yourself to death. <laughs> <laughs> because the game is quite linear in that way, it's like either either you're dead or you carry on in the next phase. As you were saying, none of the things you do, if they don't kill you, then they don't really lock you out for other things later in life. Like you can't go to jail and then find that you can't get a job, for instance, or like you can't punch a boss in the nose but then find that nobody wants to hire you. Like, it doesn't, as you were saying, you can still hit most of the same plot beats, even if you were a complete cunt earlier in life, which is not particularly realistic. It's as if he wants you to get all these plot points, he wants you to hit all the bad bits. Like, did you shag Helga? <laughs> I don't know. I shag Helga, I think I shagged everybody else. Right, Helga, right? I just got a picture of the obvious Helga, right, for Hey Arnold. Um, <laughs> I just got a picture of mine. Basically, it says, after having sex with Helga, you develop like fucking welts on your cock essentially you get a crazy STD right you go to doctors and all that and then later on you receive a letter from Helga asking how the souvenir is and it's fucking crazy and uh, it does talk about like having a few shots of penicillin you write back there saying a few shots of penicillin that went away and you end up quite cordial on your um, in your discourse, so there's just a kind of insight into this guy's mind, you know. <laughs> Aye, zero, zero real consequences. By the way, I would recommend at least one playthrough if you want to see a bit of the sicko that is Peter J. Favaro, PhD. Right now, on your phone, whatever the fuck even you're listening to this on, you can go on to playalterego.com, all one word, playalterego.com. Go for the free version. You need to wait, like, fucking ten minutes between phases of life or whatever. But you can just play us right now. It's got all the same text for 1986. You know, nobody ever thought to update this. All the same attitudes. (laughs) All the the fucking weird shit that was put into this game. I mean, for me, it's it's weirdly funny and playable. It's got a bit cursed. It's a bit cursed. Um, <laughs> it's a, a bit of the creepy pasta, but it. Uh, but it's. I mean, I, I guess he's. Um, he's just went for it, um, and he's created something that. I know it's <laughs> fucking terrifying. Here, by the way, I'm. I'm going to Google Peter J. Favaro. See if he doesn't have a moustache. I will fucking. <laughs> My heart. <laughs> this cunt has a tash. I am sure of it. <laughs> Probably does, man. It's fucking. I wonder. I don't know. I wonder. I just. I just. I, I don't know. I found that a bit like out my kind of thought process. It's the way I think about things. And I, I don't know. He's obviously for fucking planet Mars or something. If I. If I had to get two adjectives, I would say funny and creepy. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's like a, an autobiography, the, the most terrifying like, way you can write an autobiography. Create a game and put in the, the, in the second in person. person. <laughs> <laughs> this is interesting. That we, we've basically figured out that this game is meant to be about your life. It's really about his life. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, um, well... Okay, I did create a, a time where, you know, games and computer games was a kind of, still a, a concept that was a bit, 
What was it? What is it? What do you do? What is a computer it's game? How interactive does it need to be? Time these stories was usually with pure prog rock man talking about wizards running through the the gloaming and all that, but <laughs> this kind of presented like a real world, real a bit too real in places. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is a bit like it's nowhere near the quality and the mind fuck that facade was. No, that Lynchian and kind of comedic fucking weird alter ego. I- that's a true alter ego, that one. Do you know what? This does a better job of what's what it sets out today than Facade did. The reason Facade is so good is because that guy wanted to, you know, make a simulation where you go to a dinner party and you, you defuse a, an awkward situation. <laughs> he did not design it to be... An uncanny valley nightmare. <laughs> but that is what he made, and that's what makes it so good. Facade is better than the sum of its parts. Um, Alter Ego kind of just is the sum of its parts. No, I... uh, again, you can go on your phone and play it right now. Uh, it's pretty funny, and, uh, and uh, by all means, give the Neddy boys a shout if you, if you find anything <laughs> fucking weird in it, because... I mean, I, I'll, I'll go back and have a look at it every now and again. If you did play it, let me know if you get diabetes, because both my characters get diabetes. I've played through this like five or six times before this podcast, and I've never fucking got diabetes So once. I'm wanting to know if like, this what, is reflective of something of my life choices, or if it does happen to like mere players and just me. Yeah, what were you doing? I don't um, know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wasn't like eating loads of sweets or that. Fuck knows. Did his dad own a newsagent? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that will bring us on finally to um, Peter J. Favaro's Rye Star. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> Andy, why did you pick Rye Star for McCormick? Ah, uh, it's a it's a tasty wee number. This one. It's a game that came out right at the end of Mega Drive's life span. It came out right at the point where the Saturn was getting released, basically this bastardised kind of launch. Then it was a, a mascot platformer made by Sonic Team. It looks like Sonic to a certain extent, sounds like Sonic, but it plays like... I went Mick got in it, but it's, a, it's an often forgotten wee gem for the Mega Drive. And I just wanted to hear it back for you because I've never really heard them talk about it before. I'm going to have to help uh, with a, a well actually here because actually um, it wasn't made by Sonic Team. Oh, um, right, okay. But Credited a lot of the folk. It doesn't actually, it's not credited to Sonic Team when you play it on the Mega Drive, but a lot of the folk that made it did go on to join Sonic Team and worked on nights. Right. Um, so it's kind of been retroactively called like a Sonic Team game. It looks like a Sonic Team game. It really does. Like it really the does. Game, the game looks a lot like not with Chaotix. Yeah. So this was uh, Sega. Obviously, we wanted to um, capitalize on the success of Sonic, release another mascot platformer, which everyone fucking loved uh, back in those days. There was a, a kind of rejected concept for Sonic when when they were coming up with Sonic. They were kind of bouncing about a few ideas. Who's this new mascot going to be? One of them was this kind of rabbit who could like. He could stretch his arms out and pick things up. And um, they decided that was a wee, a wee bit too complex. Um, they, they chucked that one out, but when it came time to create a new mascot, they thought that this idea of like being able to pick things up and throw them about, swing around in his arms, maybe have um, an idea with legs. So they kind of resurrected it. Um, but he's not really a rabbit. He's kind of he's not an anthropomorphic animal, which credit where it's due. Most of these characters were animals, but it's a bit different. He's like a... A cartoon star, 
almost. <laughs> um, he's got those um, that kind of um, those kind of rubber band, rubber hose arms and legs. Like Mickey um, Mouse, but um, he's kind of like it just reminds me of Dynamite Eddie a wee bit, a wee bit. It's a yellow heat, maybe, but. <laughs> That's just at a time where Sonic was on a downward trajectory, man. Eugene Aga said that he was getting letters um, for kids asking who Sonic was, not Because they had released a game in ages. <laughs> so, aye, it was... Uh, they, they, they're they're, they're looking like, for somebody to fill his boots. Ah, exactly. Or, Didn't quite happen. This but. is a game, I, I, I did play it as a rental a good few times. Um, I hired it out, um, as you're saying, at the kind of tail end of the Mega Drive's lifespan before I had the PS1. I, I remember really liking it. The, the thing that just kind of struck me about it, which I, I really liked, was the the intro. There's a kind of cutscene. It's like synced to the music as things are happening. The cutscene that the music has a, a sort of arc that goes along with it. But you see these um, these little kind of alien creatures on all these planets. The, the planets be taken over by a tyrant called Greedy, and um, he's enslaved the populace. And in their hour of need, they're calling out to this ancient hero, this kind of godlike hero. Um, but he doesn't answer. The person that answers in his place is his, his young, cocky son, um, which is this creature called Rister. Rister. <laughs> I kept playing this intro over and over again. There's one wee bit of the music which I'll put in, which I, I pure loved, where when their prayers kind of reach Rister and he wakes up, it hits out with this kind of happy hardcore sounding jingle, <laughs> <laughs> which for whatever reason I just pure couldn't get enough of, and I kept replaying it to just hear that one tune, and that kind of got me psyched up for the, the rest of the game. saying this game is a lot in common with, with Sonic in terms of how it looks um, how it moves to, to some degrees like it's got that um, uh, those kind of title cards those kind of um, sort of 90s kind of pop art title cards appear showing you what each level is it's got those lovely pixel art graphics really cool colour schemes like um Knuckles Chaotix as you were saying quite some quite unusual colours yeah really kind of cool uses of like oranges and purples and greens like on unexpected colours and it's set on, the, on this system of alien planets so they've, they've tried to make it a bit more even the backgrounds are parallax growing you could tell this is where like the Mega Drive reached its peak but like its pillars um, parallax growing had things like different parts that were moving at this point like maybe birds flying by different things right. happening in the background yeah when you get to this kind of late stage of the Mega Drive I think the games really set themselves apart for their competitors, like the um, 
what do you call it, the turbo graphics and the, the stairs. Like, like, the stairs within Donkey Kong Country at the time, it? but it was a different kind of way. Yeah, but you, you were kind of seeing, like, colours and parallax scrolling and stuff that you just didn't get on other consoles, so it looked like you, you can look at games for this era... Um, and say this is a fucking Sega Mega Drive game. It couldn't be. Couldn't be anything else. So yeah, look, looks really impressive. When you are playing the first level, this is just your, your typical kind of first level on this kind of lush jungle sort of planet. Um, finding your feet with the the controls, it's quite an enjoyable kind of way to move around. You've got um, with this guy right there. He's, he's not as fast as Sonic, but he can walk around. Um, he can jump and he can. He's got a button for like stretching his arms out, and he uses that to like. Stretch out, grab enemies, and kind of headbutt them to death, <laughs> effectively. Or you can fire them in, in like eight directions um, to grab things. So like grab onto ledges and kind of um, do like a wall jump up the way sort of thing, or like grab onto certain things that you can swing or hang off of and stuff. It's got a wee counter there, like when you swing on something, like you can change, you can build the momentum up. Yeah. Like yeah, exactly. So that's what so I thought of the Sonic team because I could see a lot of the momentum physics that they're using Sonic. Aye, I mean, it's, as I say, it's got a lot, a lot in common with it. It is in-house Sega, even though it's not strictly a Sonic team game. But so I imagine they had access to a lot of the same expertise um, that they had. They were all working on fucking not with chaotics at the time. <laughs> I know these guys ended up with a better job. Oh, I defo. Um, so right away, you're you're kind of. I, I was pretty impressed by it, like in terms of. It's got a nice kind of movement mechanic. Moving around feels feels nice, you know. Being able to kind of fling yourself around with your arms on the the things Andy was talking about, building up momentum, kind of flinging yourself about, it's quite fun. So you get a, a wee bit of that kind of Sonic feeling where you're kind of zooming through the levels and quite enjoying how you're you're moving through them. Kind of fight fight a boss, um, which is just pretty standard Sonic esque fare, but. What you get in, in later levels is you kind of realise is that the game is maybe a bit less interested in being a kind of straightforward Sonic platformer. It becomes more a puzzle, sort of, um, a lot more puzzle elements. Mm-hmm. So you've got these kind of long stretchy arms and you're usually using them to like move around or, you know, hit enemies um, in the earlier levels. But in later levels, you're kind of often using them to pick things up, um, throw them about, place them in things, um, which is kind of, forms a kind of backbone of like puzzles in the game um so for example there's a level called planet sonata it has a kind of musical theme and in the first stage of that there's these kind of metronomes um kicking about the level that you've got to pick up and you've got to take them transport them through these platforms throw them to a place and then jump up to that place and make sure you don't get hit by the baddies or get stolen by the baddies and then deliver it to these wee creatures at the other side and that'll light you through the rest of the uh, the level so it's more like that that the first level almost kind of tricks you into thinking it's going to be a much more of a kind of sonic type of thing but yeah, it becomes a lot more kind of more sort of like hoops you got to jump through to kind of complete a level um i was thinking like kind of like pugsy which we played a wee while back except i Pugsy is a lot more janky and kind of... Aye, this is a bit with the, the possible yeah, physics. It's more concerned with like having accurate physics than, I think, kind of fun fun physics. It gives you the tools, and it's up they, to you to uh, use them tools to create aye. your own fun, essentially, aye. The likes of Rystar, right? We all say, oh, that's a, that's a late Mega Drive game. Do you know what I mean? That, that came out late in the, the lifespan. But when you think on it, I mean, we were probably playing Mega Drive until... What year did you get your PlayStation or your N64? 
I, I'm pretty sure I got a PlayStation in the year 2000, maybe 1999. Uh, I, think, um, I think it mine my N64, probably 97 or something. Now you're right, aye. So, I mean, you were playing, air quotes, late Mega Drive games. I mean, the, the, it's not as if they came out, you know, we, we were only getting a PlayStation when the PlayStation came out in 1995. Yeah. Like these, these things had a bit more longevity. Um, it's like what the I, Xbox One is right now. I, I mean, I seem to remember. I, I, I remember Ristar. I, I remember a few people having it I, as an adult. I've, I've definitely stumbled across McCormick playing it a couple of times. I think. I, I don't know. I, I always had you pegged as a fan of this game, Mick. Yeah, no, I, I have, I have played it a, a few times. Um, and as I say, you know, it's in terms of the lifespan of the Mega Drive, it's a late game. But I mean, I was still. Deep into my Mega Drive kind of days, the, the prime Mega Drive days when I was playing this game, um, is a win. With the Mega Drive, like none of the games that we were really exposed to were the early Mega Drive games. You know, like um, when when we're playing like your um Mega games and stuff, like that was the second go around for these games. Yeah, like they would have been coming out in like eighty nine and ninety and stuff on the Mega Drive in their first first form. Um, so I mean. You could argue that pretty much everything that we came to the Mega Drive quite late, we started in the kind of probably in the mid period of games like that when like Sonic 1 and 2 were coming out. Yeah. Um, yeah, so as, as I'm saying, this game, um, it becomes a bit more uh, puzzly in, in kind of later levels. And it wasn't something I really remembered from playing this as, as a kid because I think I, I probably didn't get that far in it really. It was one of these games that I enjoyed, but maybe, you know, wasn't good enough of games to get past the third round or whatever so revisiting it i was expecting my kind of sonic experience i guess your mileage may vary a wee bit you know if you if you don't enjoy that sort of thing it's kind of something to bear in mind that the game is not really necessarily a straightforward platformer entirely what i did really like about it and this is something that you get from like sonic 3 um other kind of games late mega drive games as we're going to call them just the kind of attention to detail and the polish which i really kind of appreciated as I say, the, the graphics are really well done. There's a good example in a kind of later level um, of kind of all these things combined, where it's called, uh, I think called Planet Freon. Obviously, your ice stage, every game had to have a fucking ice stage back in those days. It starts off with kind of almost a wee cutscene where Rystar is, is skiing, doing this mountain. That was totally lifted for Sonic and Knuckles. But um, he, he's, he skis down the mountain to start with. And then before you kind of fight any baddies, he encounters this kind of this wee sneaky kind of guy hiding behind a pile of snow um, and he's laughing at you, kind of sniggering at you. So it's setting up, the, you know, the thing that you always mentioned that you liked in Hidden Palace, the kind of telling us a story, a narrative through the level without words. It's, it sets up this wee baddie as like a, a, a kind of antagonist, a wee, a wee mischievous guy um, that's going to fuck with you for the rest of the level. You're kind of going through this um, this level, sli- sliding about um, on the ice and he, he appears to antagonise you. Um, at, at every turn he's kind of like hiding wee spikes and stuff uh, that he's going to jump out and attack you with and you might not notice in the first time you play the level but there's like a you know idle animation like when you're just standing yep um, uh, standing in Sonic or maybe wag his, his finger at you the idle animation in this stage is different from the other ones um, Rystar builds a wee snowman 
um, <laughs> and shows it to you. That's pretty good. Yeah, so I, I, I really like that, but um, I, I thought it was just a kind of one-off uh, wee detail. Get to the end of the level, it's setting up a big sh- a big showdown um, with this wee creature, and you're expecting a kind of epic boss fight, but what you get is a snowball fight. Um, he starts rolling snowballs and flinging them at you. But at this point, if you wait for a wee couple of seconds, Ristar, he rolls a snowball, um, which you can then pick up and throw at the, at the enemy. So yeah, I just I just like that um, the whole kind of yeah we we extra details, we extra animations that you you don't really see in the rest of the game, and it kind of it builds up a kind of um, a progression through the level, which is quite cool. Um, that level I was talking about the kind of musical themed levels got a kind of good one as well, where as you pick up these little metronomes and, and deliver them to these birds at the end of each level. The, the birds start singing a little song so that the music in the background actually like evolves and changes over the course of the level as as they contribute mere bits of the melody. I was really like really enjoying that side of things. Some of the puzzles are a wee bit kind of hit and miss but um, yeah I, I enjoyed just the whole kind of experience and the the polish of the, the visuals and all that was pretty great. I quite liked the way the, the backgrounds were dynamic and that I talked a wee bit about it before there but See, like the way they all twist and all that, and turn it like a big spiral in the background. It's pure trippy, isn't it? Yeah, that kind of earthbound. Um, ah, exactly. Thing. Like, yeah, there's a boss fight where, like, um, with a bird thing. Yeah, the the, the, the it's a weird, weird kind of theme. This level that the the inhabitants are like birds that are quite musical. They sing a bird song, and they're quite proud of it. At the end of that level, you've got a wee bird conducting a an orchestra. He's singing. Um, with an orchestra it's very much like the dynamite he- uh, heady but boss fight actually but then this other kind of enemy bird swoops in knocks him off his perch and then that this bird starts singing really tunelessly and um, the music all kind of like goes out of tune and horrible and the background starts distorting and all that to, to emphasise how, how terrible this this horrible cacophony is um, you get all these weird movements in that day there's, there's sections where um, like see the you're talking about the the music themed level when like everything shaped like a saxophone and all that, the walls are shaped like saxophones, accordions and like drums and stuff. Yeah, you're, you're swinging off these kind of big like trumpet shaped things and if you bump into the valves it kind of makes a wee tune. Every level's got the same quirks that add to your abilities, like you bounce on the, the drums and you go up into this kind of, it's kind of a spring in Sonic, but it creates this wee animation and stuff like that. Well... Seeing as who I've just been for a pish, um, I'm going to obligatorily ask, um, even though I've potentially just missed it, my man, tell us about the jump. <laughs> right, so this this could be a bit controversial here because I've always noticed when I'm playing this, one downside of it really is that there's a bit of an input lag on the jump, I find. And I don't know if you've experienced this, but it seems like there's a, there's a wee distance between hitting the button and the jump happening in, in later levels of the game, it actually became really quite difficult to control them because you had to kind of compensate for this. And I don't want to mark this game down for it because I would need to actually know if it happens in the original hardware because I have a sneaking suspicion that this is maybe an emulator glitch. Could if be. If it does have... happen in the original hardware, then yeah, by all means, like they can get to fuck. But I didn't recognize it. One thing I will say though, this game, unlike like, Sonic, um, even though it's made by like the same people, more or less, it doesn't really rely on the jump as much because the character's built to sort of get his movement from the assets in the level rather than yes. you jumping. It's, it's not how you traverse as much. Aye. Yeah, yeah, you can get a better jump swinging, swinging Aye, going on. Exactly. You can get a better jump by grabbing onto like, the pulley and like, shooting yourself into the air. 
or even like climbing a wall and using the last bit of jump that I've had to get a bit more air. I want to some a good sizable part of the game too. I mean, that's why I'm thinking did they get the ideas for knights from this game, like the the flying parts and all that, when you've got to keep up a certain speed, a bit like Sonic C D to keep the wee like Trailer Stars community back here and stuff. I've got a question. Gone to your head, this is for both. You cannot say a Sonic the Hedgehog game. What is the best Sega Mega Drive platformer? Should be oh, tempted yeah. to go would you be tempted to go Rystar? Oh, oh. See, I'm going, to, I'm going to make a suggestion for a game that I think is actually quite similar to this one, which is Rocket Knight Adventures. Rocket Knight Adventures is my, my answer. This game has a few things in common with that. Some of the, some of the kind of movements, that, that kind of bouncing dash and stuff is like Rocket Knight. And also the, the thing I was saying about, you know, levels having a bit of a, a story to them, you know, like that one where you getting chased by the big, um, the big boss thing through the castle. There's no dialogue in it, but you, you sometimes get these wee set pieces where they scowl at each other or whatever in Rocket I'm still thinking about the question. You've asked, um, I'm probably, Rocket Knight Adventures is up there. I mean, I don't appreciate it as much as you, Mick, but uh, it's definitely up there. There's a lot of good platformers on the Mega Drive. You're fucking spoiled for choice, man. Get games like Aladdin, all the Disney games in fact, you like and Toy Story and all that brilliant. Mickey Mania, you've got all this carry on, you've got fucking Castlevania, Bloodlines. Probably gonna to have to go for Dynamite Heady. Just for the in- in- innovation yeah. and the just the different the different kind of way of playing that platformer. I mean for for me, separating Rocket Knight and Heady would be a ball here. I would probably just about go for Rocket Knight. But Honorable I mean, we all for quack, we quack all like quite. Oh fuck me! <laughs> now you're talking. I mean, I might reverse my <laughs> No, there's just so um, much good shit on the Mega Drive. You're talking about platforms. It's hard. Yes, from Jim, it's just difficult. I would probably accept um, Rystar being in somebody's top three out with Sonic. I don't know if it would ever be my number one out with Sonic. Yeah, I would say it's it's not perfect. Like um, I, I did I appreciate the, the the polish, the whole aesthetic of it. Um, part of me kind of wished there was a wee bit more platforming and a wee bit less puzzles. Um, which maybe maybe they, you know Sega had gotten a wee bit sick of your kind of standard platformer fare by this point in the the thing's life. But um, yeah, I would I would have liked to maybe if they if they tidied up this. Is, is it a glitch? Is it an all glitch input lag? Um, a wee bit, and the the kind of mechanics and design levels mirror on that platforming. Um, I might like it a wee bit better, but as it stands, it is actually a, a really good platformer. And I would say it's, and you probably mentioned it in the same breath as a, a dynamite header or a rocket knight. You know, that's the kind of tier that I would I would put it yeah. on. I'm both far away for the Sonic series, but do you know, do you know what I get for this game? Um, and one positive I can think of, there was this time where Sega, um, and how Sega created like, this vibe um, in their games, they're very colourful, um, just weird things like what we we're talking about, like creating um, level themes out of like, just literal things, like having like, um, recorders and trombones as level assets and <laughs> stuff like that. And uh, it, it's like a kind of it's what's the best way to describe this? It? Like a techno kind of futuristic, um, uh, colourful, otherworldly, surreal kind of cartoony vibe. It's got an aesthetic that the, the Sonic games, like the Sonic One and Two, probably more so. Like they took that from kind of earlier kind of graphic design for like the nineteen eighties. You know that kind of like Miami Vice sort of yeah. pastel sort of style. 
and it's been kind of resurrected as like um, synthwave or wave and all that. Um, but aye, that kind of vibe. That was just before the whole kind of um, commodification as type of vibe, where Britney Spears and like bubblegum pop and all that came out. And aye, it's a lot more. It was a lot more cynical. Sweetie plastic version of it. Aye. Like music videos and stuff, like some for the boy bands and that, were all kind of like it a wee bit, but it was more like kind of plastic, you were looking at it through like a kind of laminate, laminate. Whereas here it's, it's still in its infancy and it's like oh, a lot of creativity has been put into it and it's just it's a really, really cool um, yeah. visual aspect to, to these games. I'm a big fan of that, I'm a big fan of that whole whole vibe and this is one that you know, might have flown under some people's radars and if it is, if in terms of the aesthetics, in terms of the gameplay, like if you did love the Sonic series, um, some of the other Mega Drive platforms. You might not necessarily heard of this one, and you know if if that's the kind of games you're into, then you definitely worth seeking this one out. It's quite a, a fun time um, if you want to look at what we're saying about then um, from a creative point of view. Well, they were absolutely fucking it for a business and commercial point of view. <laughs> if the creative side it was still on point, as, and they were still on top of the world, they were still like, the world's best up there with Nintendo at the time, and this Aye, this kind of shows what could have been. If they didn't have to go with full arcade, I mean, after this they had to focus on the arcades because of the absolute fuck up they made. But I mean, this is a this and nights into dreams and stuff like that is a good kind of window into what could have been for Sega, and it just never manifested, unfortunately. Aye, powerful Sega mindset. <laughs> I did want to say one last thing um, before we close things out on this game. This is an example of a very weird trope, a very specific trope that you got around about this time with platformer characters in that for the West they made them angrier. You know how they did that with Sonic and like Kirby? Kirby. Sonic, Kirby. I think Kirby had like fucking angry eyebrows in the West. In this game, if you play the Japanese version, he's idle animation, he's walking animation, he's got a big smile on his face. In this one, he's scowling, he's raging, <laughs> whatever's going on. Um they had this, this can, can it be a can it be a pussy? If you're, if you're a Western game character, <laughs> Dragon Ball Z is a perfect example. The first Dragon Ball was like this kind of goofy, very Japanese like humor um, cartoon. And then Dragon Ball Z was massive in the West because it featured big fucking massive guys going fucking nuts with each other. <laughs> a lot more <laughs> angst, a lot more epic battles. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Mortal Kombat 2, that's a good example of it, isn't it? So this is Street Fighter 2, but nastier. Nasty. <laughs> Aye. But yeah, overall. Overall recommendation, aye, um, aye, and yeah, any any Sega pilled freaks among us should well, fucking seek this one out if they haven't done so already. It's 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 style. The the Sega heads will know about it. Aye, any baby Sega heads then. But anyway, let's get to gain out our games for next time. I'm I'm going to start off. Arguably, we've been having too much of a nice time. Um, it's been said. <laughs> So I'm going to stick with Sega Mega Drive. Uh, McCormick, I'm going to give you the, the Mega Drive game with the greatest intro of all time <laughs> versus possibly some of the snidiest role-playing gameplay of all time. Um, it's Dungeons & Dragons Warriors of the Eternal Sun. <laughs> I'm going to be writing a two-page history paper on the Goblin Wars which I'm going to the Goblin Wars. Well, Mick, I'm going to just repeat exactly what you say. Is I'm going to get you the game with the best intro of all time, but the dodgiest kind of gameplay of all time. <laughs> I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to get you. Just we've been talking about another example. Um, Sonic 3D. Um, so, is it Sonic 3D Flutties Island for the Mega Drive? The red-headed stepchild of the Sonic Mega Drive games. Aye.
So, um, unlike these sick bastards, I'm actually going to give Andy something that's really good. <laughs> Another <laughs> Mega Drive game, 3 for 3. The classic treasure sh- uh, platformer shooter. One of the best games on the system, in my humble opinion, but weirdly we've not talked about it yet. Uh, Gunstar Heroes. No, I've heard this is a treasure, this game. Indeed. Big hatter. I'm really excited about this one. It's been a wee while since I've been truly, really properly excited to play a game. Have you never played this, Andy? I've never played this, but no, but I've seen it. I've never. I've, I've always thought. I've always thought if I play it, I want to enjoy it properly. That's a fucking shocker. Um, I, I can't believe you've not played this. It's a fucking topper, so it is. I'm going to get right into it, man. And uh, I've heard it's a wee bit like Contra, but a wee bit more platformy. So it's going to be better, be better, better. Aye. Well, I'll fucking get a right good go, man. Um. Well, I mean. How are we going to close it? We we need to do our, our standard uh, vulgar close-off, but... We shagged everyone at uni. <laughs> I think it would only be natural to say you approach a man, he tells you his name is Peter J. Fafaro, he puts his hand on your lap <laughs> and says, do you want to shag? <laughs>